Hey there, Kyle Hilliard here. I am about to open an email from Matt Helgeson, the host of Mintrax. Going to see what Kyle has in store for me this week. Let's see. I'm going to Google it quickly here. Is this cheating? I don't think so. I know what it is now. What is it again? <laughs> Shit. Van Morrison, Astral Weeks. All right, there he is. He's got a very he's got a very specific hat. Yeah, Blink One Eighty Two, Enema of the State. Oh man, like a purple hat and like a orange scarf. It's almost like a Joker getup. You know, I mean, I I, I remember this album cover. Um, definitely knew some of their songs that were like on MTV and stuff. But uh, I'm not a, a aficionado by any stretch. That's funny. This should be fun. Yeah, no, I'm excited about this. I'm not super familiar with Van Morrison outside of, uh, you know, Brown-Eyed Girl. But I, yeah, this song's great. Thanks, Matt. I'm looking forward to listening to this. Welcome to Mintrax, the dueling album review show about expanding your musical horizons. We are a proud member of the MinMax podcast network, which I made up. Um, and we're very, <laughs> very happy to be joined by a special guest, one of the, you're like one of the true players of, of MinMax, Kyle Hill. Is <laughs> yeah, that fair to say? What is that? There's like a term, like a troop, right? For actors. Yeah. And the troop. I kind of feel like if it was Goodfellas that Hanson would be Robert De Niro and you might be Ray Liotta. Yeah, I'll take it. I'll okay. be Ray Liotta. He's, he's the star, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. what I'm saying. And uh, as always, Jason Daphnis, producer on the case. Yeah, we've we've got a hell of an episode for you today. <laughs> this really is. <laughs> I, I this I, I have to say I was tickled when I got Kyle's pick, knowing what I picked, just because it's incredibly absurd matchup for several reasons, and I love that about this week. So um, it should be an interesting discussion because I, I can't imagine you could pick two quote unquote rock albums that are more different than these two albums. Oh. God, yeah. No, and you know what? I got to say, I don't know if we should uh, pull the curtain back a little bit, but I actually list. I already heard your reaction that you heard in the beginning of the show. And I was I was tickled that you were like, okay, End of the State, yeah, funny albums. I think they had Take Off Your Pants and Jacket was their next album. And I was like, <laughs> you're not even a fan. I'm, I'm blown away that you know the name of that album just like off the top of your head. It's just like insane. Yeah. Well, let's let's just reveal. So the, the picks Kyle picked for me... Uh, <laughs> Blink-182, Enema of the State. Yeah, of course. Um, Obviously. I see, what they, I see what they did there. Um, <laughs> and I picked uh, Van Morrison, Astral Weeks for Kyle. So they're pretty divergent albums on a number of levels. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> I would say that I, you know, I'm not a, a necessarily a fan of Blink-182, but at, at a certain point around, especially Enemy, Enema of the State, um, you know, they were yeah, please, please a big Please, get band. it right, Helga. It's very sorry, important sorry, that you get geez. the name of the album correct. <laughs> um you know, they were really big and obviously those those hits were kind of unescapable. And this seems like this is sort of their huge album, right? Oh, undoubtedly. Yeah. Like, yeah, this was this was huge. This like sent them into the stratosphere. So tell me about your uh, what's your background with the Blink-182? Were they an uh, important band in your life? Yeah. Like, so I don't I've, I've, I don't use the term like guilty pleasure anymore when it comes to just any kind of entertainment media like. I feel like that was something like uh, there was a point in my life where I was definitely embarrassed to like Blink-182, but like I am a big fan. I, my first album of theirs that I bought was actually the one prior to Enema of the State was Dude Ranch, which had that song, Damn It, which I'm guessing you guys, both you and yes. Jason know, like, right? Yeah. 
And so I was a fan from that album. I liked that album. Um, and then Enema of the State came out and they blew up. And the sort of the the, the reaction in, in these kind of situations are usually like, oh, man, I, I like them when they were cool, when they were like, I guess you could say actually punk rock. But like, I didn't feel that way at all. Like, I loved Enema of the State. I I liked that they like all these people knew about this band that I liked now. And like the big thing for me about Blink-182, which is like when I was debating with Jason about like what album I wanted to pick. The reason I went with them is because like they they really are formative for me in terms of music, like the music that I played uh, in high school and college. Like it doesn't sound anything like Blink-182, but like that listening to these albums was like how I learned to play drums. Like okay. listening very closely and emulating these songs. I, I learned Damn It on the guitar. I'm not a guitar player, but that's like one song that I know. And then when my friends and I were like starting to get into the idea of playing music, like we played Blink-182 songs. And so like you, like throughout this episode, as I talk about Enema of the State, you'll probably hear me focus on the drums a lot because yeah. like I... I I'm not I'm nowhere near was ever even close to being anything as good as a drummer as Travis Barker is, but like I could probably sit down in front of my drums and still play pretty much all these songs. Wow. Just because like I that's just how I learned to play drums. Like that's where I got my speed was trying to emulate that stuff and like so like so this album and the band it, it was like really important to me. And it's it's funny because like you know, I did I hit this point kind of late high school where I, I guess even earlier than that, I would say like early high school where, you know, I was I was starting to pride myself on knowing bands that no one had ever heard of. And I was getting into like I guess you could say like legitimate punk rock, like the bands that influenced Blink 182. But then like me and my friend, my buddy Alan, who like we would always kind of quietly be like yeah, but we still love Blink-182, right? Like, we're never going <laughs> to give them up, right? Like, and, like, we, we even came up with this whole narrative. We would watch their, like, behind-the-scenes DVDs and stuff. And, like, between him and I, we'd be like, like, I mean, yeah, no, they're, like, pop-punk. You know, they, yeah, they've sold out. They, like, they're all over MTV. There's no denying that. But you know what? Those guys are punk rock because, like, they don't care. They don't care. And that's, like, the most punk rock thing in the world is to not care. <laughs> it was just, like, we were trying to defend them to ourselves. It was so strange. I don't know. Why. It's in retrospect, I'm like, why do we even care? Yeah. Well, at that age. Well, you know what we should yeah. do here? Because we should, we should, let's play some Blink-182. Let's play the first song, which I chose. I think it's, it's the first song in the album. And I think certainly it is a good introduction to the band. I mean, they come, yeah. come up pretty strong with Dumpweed. I mean, it's just, it's one of those things that, like, I revisit the album every couple of years, and it just makes me happy. Like, it's like <laughs> one of those kind of albums, you know? And, like, yeah. that op this opening, just, well, again, the drums, just the way they drive. And it's also, like, it let me sort of listen to, I guess you could say, it's not really punk rock. It's kind of like, you know, a poppy version of punk rock. But it did, up until that point, all the punk that I had been listening to had been that really... That's there was only like two different drum beats that they were doing. There was like bass snare, bass snare, bass snare, or bass bass snare, bass bass snare, bass bass snare at different speeds, usually really high speeds. But this was like you know an album where they were playing you know like poppy punk riffs, but the drums were like doing so many different things than just those simple punk rock beats. And I really, really appreciated sort of the diversity of the different things that he was doing 
where like any other drummer and they had a drummer before Travis Barker okay who would just play like really simple beats that were were like fast and that's like I learned those because I wanted to get up that speed but like once Travis Barker came in it just changed sort of the sound of the band and like the landscape of the percussion for them in a really positive way okay yeah that that actually was something I was going to I had a couple songs picked about him in particular yeah. um you know my experience with them was you know I guess when this came out, I was an intern at Game Informer. I was already probably way too much of a indie rock elitist asshole at that point to, you know, really embrace <laughs> something like this. But you yeah. know, later later in life, I've uh, I definitely softened on all that stuff. And as you said, I, I sometimes you're just like, why did I care about those things? You yeah, know, exactly. But one thing I was curious about is I love the. It's interesting to me in retrospect the perception that they had like sold out because I don't remember. I mean, damn it, I remember that song, and it, it's not like it's you know black flag or something it's a pretty poppy <laughs> you know song it's kind of interesting yeah. that you guys felt that this represented them you know selling out in some way i mean i i think there's almost like no just even looking at the numbers <laughs> just like album sales and just the way they became like an mtv band like oh yeah mtv was st- like kind of i'm maybe like one of the last like true I don't, this i don't know i have no like expertise on this but i feel like and it could have just been because I was getting older and not paying attention to MDF anymore. But I feel like that was probably the end of the era where bands, where you knew bands from MTV, because like MTV is, isn't like promoting bands anymore, right? Or right. music in general. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the all the small things video was, didn't they sort of emulate boy bands? Oh, yeah. It's a total mockery yeah. of very specific uh, boy band music videos. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I, I was think, I hated boy bands when I was like middle high school, just like absolutely despised them. So I like I ate that up. Yeah, and, and in some ways, I think you're probably right. Ninety nine, you know. Then I think maybe American Idiot came out a few, but that's sort of like the very very end of maybe what you'd want to call the alternative rock era. You know, that yeah. maybe start if you say it started with like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and you know early Green Day and things like that. You know, this is sort of that era, sort of one of the last huge albums, probably yeah, of that era, like the last like TRL. <laughs> Yeah, (laughs) like elevated, like, oh, man, they're on the top of the list today. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, just really rock bands even being that popular in in some ways, you know, to to be on a TRL, which you just I mean, there's there's certainly bands that are popular now. But I mean, I think that era of them being huge as pop artists is kind of over, I think, in some senses. Yeah. Um, But let's see. uh, What's another song that I I liked? Um, This next song, I, I thought it was really catchy. And it's about, I think, someone something that everyone can relate to which is losing your girl to a guy who has explosive diarrhea which you know <laughs> i've been there which is i mean to be fair is pretty much what all the songs are about and they're like <laughs> way too old to be writing songs about losing their high school girlfriends i think they're in their like late 20s at this point this i think i looked it up out. i think they would they would have been in like their mid 20s they're okay. not that far from maybe like 23 as that one song says maybe 24 yeah, i mean still still pretty late though yeah it's <laughs> it's, it's enough but song. anyway dysentery gary despite the kind of ridiculous title it's it's a, it's a it goes pretty hard i like this one And that's, this is another situation where I would listen to that and be like, oh, uh, oh, I can I can hit my drumstick on the rim of the snare drum? Like, I'm allowed oh, to do yeah. that? Yeah, when I'm playing, like, you know, punk rock? That's that's okay. We're all okay with that now? <laughs> like, 
because I, I never really heard that, you know? At least not in that genre. No, absolutely. Actually, I'm going to skip ahead, Jason, because we're kind of talking about the drumming. And uh, I would say that, you know, there was a lot of bands that were in this kind of genre, especially the late 90s. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. kind of post-Green Day Post warp tour things like that. Yeah, which kind is of all weird. This- like I, I liked Green Day. I had Nimrod and Dookie, and I liked those albums. And then I liked Blink One Eighty Two. But like all the other sort of bands that bubbled up after that, I never really, none of them really appealed to me in a big way. You know, there's like the Sum Forty Ones and like the Newfound Glories and stuff. Yeah. Like MXPX. I never that stuff never really clicked with me as hard. I don't know why. Yeah, I mean, because they're all not that different in certain ways. But maybe no, it's yeah. just a matter of. I mean, I think um, I think Mark Hoppus, the bassist, like even was the producer on a bunch of those albums and stuff. Yeah. So it's all kind of descended maybe for actually from the descendants, the, the really old band. Oh yeah, like, for sure. I mean, cause I think their first album was like 81. If you listen to that stuff that came out in the late nineties is just absolutely completely just, dis- you know, descended from the descendants. Um, but I, I did want to touch on Barker. Um, I know he's been sort of regarded in, you know, drum magazine and drum website circles as a really awesome drummer. And he's, he is really impressive. I think it's one of the things that separates these guys, even as adolescent as it sort of is, and maybe formulaic as it is in certain senses. Uh, he's really a player. And when they go fast, it's, it's really fast and it's very precise. And there's a two songs I wanted to kind of play in a row. The first one was party song. Yeah. And, and you guys are both better at this stuff than I, but is this, I, I want to say this might be in 6 8. It's definitely, a, it's not 4 4 for, oh, for sure. But that's um, a good question. Yeah. And but, the, the other thing about this song is, uh, I, we'll, we'll, we'll see if you can actually hear it here on the podcast, but like my friends and I would debate about what he was possibly saying at the very beginning of it because it's so quiet. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's hear party song because it, it comes off with this kind of stilted, weird beat and it's kind of interesting. Yeah. Do you wanna come to a party? My friends pick me up in their truck at 11.30 This thing's at a flat house, but people are cool there I'm looking, I follow, but I never dreamed there would be someone there Who would catch my attention I wasn't out searching for love or affection So I paid my three and the girls got a free shine The beer for tequila and we headed into the party And then in the backyard some terrible stuff and some money Do you hear that kind of like almost waltz time thing? Yeah, I never really thought about that much because, like, the the takeaway for that song for me has always been just like, well, this is the one that's like a minute and a half and it's so fast. Like, I, yeah, I never really thought about the time signature much, but you're right. It does have like a weird off beat almost to it. Yeah, I don't know time signatures, but I know when they're not 4 4. Yeah, Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure actually, not to, not to be the negative nanny, but like, I'm pretty sure that is 4 4. It's just Barker being so in his pocket that like he's hitting the snare on the offbeat right on the end okay. and that's like giving okay. emphasis to the beat that you're not expecting it to and it reminds oh, me of a lot okay. of earlier punk a lot of harder punk that really mm-hmm. like uh does throw you throw you off uh in that way I, it that has always stuck out to me because when i'm like just you know tapping my toe or uh you know trying to fo- follow along when listening to that song i'm always thrown off when it pops into the rest of the song because it is it's offbeat but i'm pretty sure it's still in Four four. Yeah, he's just hitting the snare at like an unexpected yeah. spot. This got a very triplet yeah. feel to it. Definitely sort of yeah. weird, like cycling triplet feel. But maybe he's and you know, there's. I've even heard. I know drummers have talked about where. Have you ever heard about people playing like six eight over four four and stuff like that? Oh yeah, polyrhythms, I mean, man. That, that's weird stuff. <laughs> anyway, I don't want to get uh, that. It's gonna break my brain. Um, <laughs> yeah. The other, the other one that I, I thought was cool, and there's we might want to play this a little longer because I think it starts with one part that's very cool where he's almost doing. 
stuff almost reminds me of Rush or something. It's it's not very typical punk drumming. And then he kind of brings it into another part and then it goes full out where you could almost remove the music and you could put like a Slayer song over it. It's going kind of that just super fast, almost thrash metal beat. Um, and that's Anthem. He's very creative with symbols and like yeah. his, his hi hats as well. Yeah, and then moving in kind of into like a more standard, you know, pop punk beat there. But even there, he's got fills that are very kind of atypical. Yeah. And then it's going to, pretty soon, it's going to go into a really. After this, doesn't it go super fast after this? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this could be like raining blood or something. <laughs> yeah, the, the drum track. Yeah, that that I, I'm sure there's a term for it, but that bass drum that's like da, 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 like where you have that sort of double hit. Oh, like I there think was, they call that blast beat or well, a DB blast beat is when you're just kind of going like da 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 da, da yeah. which I, I've never liked. I remember I would have arguments with my bandmates about not wanting to play blast beats, but that bass drum that's like bop 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 bop, like I, I I can't vocalize it, but it's like a double tap, like da 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 da. da, da. There was like a, a period of like months where like I would listen to this and I'd be like, I don't know how he does that. He must have a double bass kick. And it took me like a really long time to figure out how to do it. And there is like a like a like a, a weird way to like hold your ankle to do that, like double tap. And it was it was from me listening to this kind of stuff that I was able to figure it out. You know, you're yeah, the drummer here. Kyle, does, I don't know. There's something is, called is, a D beat, too. That's yeah, similar. Is it, is it anything like a, like a paradiddle? I mean, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of. Yeah. But like you do it with like one a single bass drum kick, and there was like a long period of time listening to this where I was like, I don't, I don't know, I, I, it just felt impossible to me, you know. But uh, yeah, it is, it is kind of, it's kind of like a a, a paradiddle, but like you know, paradiddles imply like two hands, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right. But like you know, doing like just the the bass drum kick. But uh, yeah, I and I was I went as I'm sure everyone does on all these, you know, uh, for this podcast which by the way i'm a big fan i've listened to every episode i don't know if i made that clear well thank you thanks for uh, thanks for being on man yeah yeah. and i went down like the blink 22 rabbit hole of like trying to figure out like like what did happen to their original drummer because like they came up with this drummer and supposed like the thing that i read and this is all like who knows if this is even true but i i kind of tend to believe it is like he he had some alcohol problems and they were like and he agreed to go to rehab to to sort it out but they they brought in uh, Travis to like cover for them while they were like on Warp Tour, and and supposedly this is all like you know rumor. Uh, Travis Barker, he was a drummer for the Aquabats at the time, and he filled in for I Scott Rayner was the guy's name. I, I did not know that. that. I did not know. Yeah. that. I did not know that. And apparently, wow. this is like I said, I, the big grain of salt here. Apparently, he learned Blink 182's 20 song set list in 45 minutes before the first show. <laughs> I mean, for a player of his skill, though, their older songs, I mean... Yeah, no, they're so simple, which is why, totally even though it sounds outlandish, like, it's not crazy, especially for someone as good as Travis Barker, and it's like a lot of the drums are just like, bump, like, snare, bass, bass, snare, bass, bass, snare, bass, bass, snare, like, that's the whole song, like, 
I, I, I believe it, man. I, yeah, he, I could believe that he could just kind of look at it and be like, yeah, I've heard you guys play these a couple nights. I can, I can sit in on this. And then I bet I mean, the Russ reason is live that they, and everyone's like going crazy. So if yeah. you make a couple little mistakes, no one's really going over it with a fine tooth comb. And I bet, and like, maybe, maybe this is like, maybe this is them being assholes, but like, I bet that they're just like, this guy's a better drummer. Like, let's just keep him. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, to me, you know, again, this isn't, one of my core listening styles of music. I think he's really what distinguishes them on a musical level without his drumming. I think this album would be so much more boring without his drumming. You know, he really, I think every song, even as simple as some of them are, he he generally is doing something that's not the most obvious thing. Yeah. And I mean, Mark Hopp is the bass player. Yes. He's pretty good too. He has some, he has some kind of, I think good melodic bass lines. Now he's, he's not a super virtuoso, but I think he's, He's uh, tuneful. Yeah, and I think they have good riffs. Like, I think the guitar riffs are are fun and memorable. Like, I think Damn It stands out as being like, da na 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 Like, that's fun, and I'll always remember that. But I agree with you, Matt, totally, in that the thing that gives them, like, a lot of personality and distinguishing, like, element, to me, is the drums. Is just because it's so dynamic and full. Like, there's all these fills, and it's it's just different, you know, than, like, a typical pop-punk drummer, which I really loved and still love. Yeah. Um, and this obviously has the hits on him. And in, listening to this was interesting because I, I remembered all the small things, I think, better. But now listening to the two big hits, I'm pretty convinced, I think, that um, What's My Age Again is a way better song than All the Small Things. Oh, I don't like All the Small Things actively. I think it's the worst song in the album. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Because yeah. I, I just that um, – actually, Jason, why don't you play the, the chorus to um, What's My Age Again is really good. was a Friday night, I woke alone to get the feeling right. We started making out and she took off my pants, but then I turned on the TV. And that's about the time she walked away from me. Nobody likes you when you're 23. And I saw more of you my TV show. Yeah, that's pretty classic kind of just power pop, almost yeah. like cheap, cheap trick kind of stuff, you know. That That's a catchy chorus. But yeah, no, that, that, to me, that, that held up way better than uh, All the Small Things. Yeah, I don't even really understand what All the Small Things The, the thing at All the Small Things that I just, I remembered I hated it at the time, and I hated it now, was <laughs> always, I know you'll be at my show. <laughs> something yeah. about that phrase, just something I mean, about always, I know, like oof. the kind of Yoda-ish um, I, I'm not construction I'm not, of that just to make it a, a bad rhyme is just yeah. so annoying to me. I'm not. I'm really not a big lyrics guy. Just in general, like it's, I, I really focus in on like drums and like musicality. Just like I really like, you know, like just weird, complicated music. And like the the lyrics to me are just like often feel like a, just another instrument sure. as opposed to like the like a poetic element of a song. And like. And then it, when I listen to a lot of these songs, when I do focus on the lyrics, I'm like, Ugh, are, I was, I was going to say that, rough. you know, <laughs> 99, obviously different times. Yeah. Uh, some of these lyrics uh, would fly significantly less well in, oh, in 2020. Yeah. I mean, like the dump weed, I, w- I just need a girl I can train. Not or, good. 
Yeah, there's no reason. (laughs) Especially in, in, you know, and also in um, Anthem equating your parents being like a total bummer to (laughs) slavery, I I think is maybe overstating the case. Also, I mean, again, they're what, like 24, 25? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I mean, they probably wrote these songs, you know, before that as well. But I mean, they're they're a very teenage band. But, you know, some of this stuff, especially with women, I think would probably not go over as well today a hundred percent a hundred percent as much as i like dumpweed musically like i i cringe at i need a girl that i can train I'm like, oh, well i was I listening to it and i'm not super familiar and then i was like is, is he really saying that and then i got <laughs> on my phone and i so i googled dumpweed lyrics and i was like oh wow okay yeah. i mean really i there. i equate i think a lot of these songs i like i actually think of the live versions because they had right after enema of the state they released an album called the mark tom and travis show which is okay. like, it's kind of like a greatest hits album. Um, and because they play a lot of their good old, like the better old stuff. And then they play a lot of stuff from Enema of the State. And it was one that I was like, oh, maybe we can do that one as my album because then we cover more Blink 182 songs. But I listened back to it and there's just a lot of banter between songs that are bad, that do not hold up, that are very homophobic. And it's, and it's, 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 I don't like, it, it it's definitely like very a, a group of three immature guys trying to be as profane as possible on stage to like what is ostensibly probably like high school and middle school kids. So, totally. you know, of course they were getting all these crazy laughs, but it's it is rough to go back and listen to today. <laughs> yeah. And not to belabor because they're certainly not exactly a, you know, lyric band per se. No, no. But one thing I thought was also interesting in retrospect is that at the time, I'm sure you as a fan just heard it as, oh, it's kind of a wacky story song about a guy who like is obsessed with aliens talking yeah. about the song aliens exist but now in retrospect we know didn't tom delong he's like a super area 51 conspiracy guy yeah he was in the news like like a few months ago like basically more or less saying like i've seen the government evidence of aliens you guys like and <laughs> So this was really the beginning of him turning into like sort of a loony about the whole thing, not just yeah. a little throwaway. I thought, it, you know, you could just hear it at the time and be like, oh, it's kind of like a joke song about this guy that's paranoid about aliens. But obviously he, it was coming from the heart. I actually I have this weird distinct memory of um, Enema of the State had been out for a while. All three songs had like the big three songs had music videos and were big hits. And I remember Tom DeLonge was like um, being interviewed by Carson Daly on MTV. And he was kind of like, hey, you know, what's next for Blink-182? And he and Tom DeLonge was like, well, we have this song on the album called Aliens Exist. And he's like, and I got I got big ideas for the music video where we're going to have like aliens and all this stuff. And it was like it was pretty clear that like, you know, he was obsessed with the idea of aliens. He liked aliens as a concept. And the thing that always struck me about that interview, because that music video never came to exist. And uh, the thing that I always remember about it, even at the time, was (laughs) Carson Daly was like, Oh, I, I kind of meant like, you know, do you have a new album coming? Like, guys, guys, I think we're ready for like new music yeah. at this point. <laughs> you know? And he was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, let me let me quash these plans for this alien music video. <laughs> I had, I'll do that later when I leave Blink-182. I also spent some time on the Blink-182 Wikipedia and the song Mutt, I was just kind of listening, looking that up and it was in some like lyrics meaning site. And it, literally it said, Mutt is about... Tom DeLong had a ex roommate named Benji Weatherly who was a pro surfer and he had a lot of sex. <laughs> <laughs> so that it, like that's it. It's funny because it's like, about a surfer Mutt, that had a lot of sex. Is that uh, oh no, I'm thinking of Wendy Clear. 
is actually one of the few lines uh, of that I like, which I think is the song after that. Uh, but no, uh, your description for the for what Mutt is about that I would guess that that's entirely accurate. <laughs> <laughs> Just yeah, surfer. Um, uh, so we should probably play. Let's play it. I think going at one thirty. But uh, Adam's song that was another hit. Which sometimes it's weird where there's big bands and they have hits that are pretty big at the time, but then I forget that yeah. they were hits. You know what I mean? And this was one that I remember now. I can even picture the video and stuff like that. But I. I until I listened to it, I totally spaced that Adam songs ever existed. And this was kind of, I would imagine, for, you know, you know, the kind of more serious song, I guess, for them, obviously. Yeah, this this one, another staple for my friends and I to cover as we were just mm-hmm. tooling around with music, which is weird. I don't know why this. I think this one's the drums were a little slower and a little bit more easy to identify. So oh, like that one yeah. like was one that we kind of uh, played often, which is is weird. It's like the sad song of the album. Yeah, I, I don't know why I found it kind of weirdly touching today for some reason because it, it's such a sort of like childish kind of view of like suicide you know yeah. that, like the whole apple juice line and is such a weird i don't know it just it, it reminded me of like what is a like a 14 year old kind of how they would probably think of doing that yeah but maybe not actually do it you know what i mean or i don't know i think it's also just its placement in the rest of the album because the, the, one of the things i like about bling too like i don't i really struggle with like groups and bands that really take themselves too seriously like even in my own band in high school and stuff, like we were, we would play metal and like the guys were very serious about it, but I would always try to come up with like goofy names for our songs that otherwise sounded like, you know, like death metal and stuff like that. And like, it is we, and that's like one of the reasons I'm attracted to Blink-22 is because they, they don't take anything seriously until much later uh, in their career. But, and then, but then it's like, that's true for pretty much every song on there. But then Adam's song is like weirdly shoved in the middle and it kind of makes it stand out in a certain way. And uh, even if you listen to the the live album, they it, it I feel like they struggle to like set it up because they're making jokes. Their songs are fun and goofy, and when they play Adam's song, they basically they introduce it. They're like, "All right, everyone, um, uh, this one's a sad one, so everyone get ready to start crying." And then they like kick off the song. It's very strange. Yeah, and it's it's yeah, it's kind of jarring almost the subject matter, you know, in in relation to the rest of the album. It's also very mid tempo to low, you know low mid tempo where everything else is at a pretty good clip. Yeah. Um, and, I th- and then for the next album, they, they basically tried to emulate that where they were oh. just like, well, we need another sad song. So they have a song about divorce, which both the Tom DeLonge and Mark Hoppus experienced as children and were formative for them. But it is, it just does kind of feel like listening to even that one. You're like, Oh, okay, well this is, they have to have Adam's song on here. So this is the new Adam song, you know? Sure. It's weird. Did they try anything? I, I didn't necessarily follow their career. Did they do sort of a, you know, a lot of times bands like this will, well, Green Day was a great example of that where they did, you know, American Idiot, this super kind of rock opera thing. Did they ever try to go like super serious or ambitious oh, yeah. later? Big time. Yeah. 
like the out so they had this album then uh take off your pants and jacket and then after that it was they, they basically tried to um they they made a serious album uh like deadly serious like no, uh, no, i don't think there's any kind of like punk rocky fun songs on there they're they even self-titled had, right uh i don't think it was self-titled i could i think wait hold on yeah you're right and they even had robert smith uh appeared on one of the songs whoa yeah and it's like and i i I don't like the album like i don't think it's good and then they had a music video for i think the song was called i miss you and it is like it is gothic and like mark hoppus is like playing a stand-up bass whoa like their their hair is dyed black and it's all shadowy and it's like very self-serious and like i was saying like i I struggle with bands who get really serious and self-serious and so like at that that was actually when i sort of backed away and i was like "Eh, okay i think you guys lost me at this point you know (laughs) um yeah well actually that's one of my favorite that's a a underrated rock move is the late career self-titled album (laughs) (laughs) kind of like you're redefining who you are you don't even you're making a statement about what you might actually like that album matt it's yeah i'll check it out it's it's got like very little of the pop punk fun of their earlier albums Uh, there's still some like real jams real anthems but yeah it's 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 weird it's the one full disclosure it was the first blink 82 album i ever listened to i wasn't really allowed to listen to music like that as a kid uh, about the most dangerous it got was like fallout boys second Your album parents for me. really didn't like diarrhea songs uh they wanted me to listen to christian diarrhea songs only <laughs> okay. um no but like that album really cast what blink 182 was for me and then going back I had almost an inverse experience from you, Kyle, where it was hard almost to go back to like uh, Pants and Jacket and Enema of the State because I had formulated in my mind this like semi-serious sort of like jumping on the emo train version of Blink-182 that like didn't last super long. Their later songs get into like fatherhood and about, you know, aging and stuff. But the earlier stuff was just almost a barrier for me because I'm like, why, why are these jackasses singing about like masturbating and calling their girlfriends dads and like reporting sodomy and like all this, all this stuff that I now like incredibly respect after listening to these, to <laughs> all those albums a lot. No, 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 no. They deserve crowns for putting those things on record and selling uh, millions of them. Uh, uh, but yeah, so I think Matt that you might have a lot of fun listening. If you had any fun listening to, uh, uh to Enema of the state, I would say, listen to, they're self-titled and like see the other end of the spectrum because it is like far the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Oh, I, I'll Jason, check it out. I love that you have that perspective that it, my, your, my sister is actually kind of like that. She found them through this for that album too. And then I was like, Oh, you like blink One Eighty Two? Like we should listen to this. She's like, I don't, I don't want any of that <laughs> stuff. I, I like this stuff. I like the emo stuff, you know? Yeah. My chemical romance kids. What can you say? <laughs> I, a couple, it was like, I want to say 2012 or 13, I was at a uh, sandwich shop and the guy, the kid behind the counter, probably like late high school, he had like a Blink-182 bracelet on and a like a Blink-182 hat or something. And I was like, oh, hey, uh, Blink-182, man, you're a fan? And he kind of seemed like put off almost as though like, because like an, not that I look particularly old, but I was clearly older than him. <laughs> and and he was like, oh, like almost like, you know, Blink-182? And I was like, yeah, man, I love Enema of the State and damn it, like a uh, dude ranch. And he and he didn't know what I was talking about. And you he, crumbled he, the he dust He knew them instantly. from when they reunited in 2011 for this album, uh, Neighborhoods, which Neighborhoods. I never listened to. And he Ooh. was like a huge fan of Neighborhoods and had like no idea what I was talking about. It was such a, a weird, made me feel Ooh. old experience. It was very <laughs> they, span the, they span the generations. Yeah. Um, 
Well, I, I, I picked up on a great line, which I think, I think to wrap it up, I, it was, this was fun. It was fun to listen to Blink-182. And, and again, I, you know, if nothing else, I think coming away really impressed um, by Travis Barker as a drummer. Uh, I can definitely see, especially as somebody growing up and wanting to play drums, how that would have been pretty influential and inspiring in some ways. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I picked this a little bit. I mean, just because I, I assumed you probably may, maybe not actively disliked Blink-182 or but just like just were totally just didn't care. You know, yeah. And so, I like, I'm happy I, to hear that you 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 had took some fun away from it because I think a lot of the songs are fun, if nothing else. You know, yeah. I would say at the time, I d- I probably didn't care to maybe mild dislike to probably thinking maybe a couple songs were kind of catchy. I remember mm. thinking, "Damn, it was pretty catchy." Um, but you know, it just it really wasn't the kind of stuff I was into. But I don't think I was actively like upset about Blink One Eighty Two. It just was sort of not really on my radar. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, you know, it was fun. It was fun to hear it. And sort of sometimes those things, uh, you know, so many years later, the distinctions between like what kind of music is cool or, or not cool or or what you're supposed to like or listen to, it sort of fade away with time, I think. So I'm, yeah. I'm probably I'm much less judgmental about stuff now, I think, in the, in the, than I was maybe in, you know, my mid-20s or whatever. Yeah, so. I mean, like, I was, there was a time in my life where, like, I was still listening to Blink-182 and, like, I was, like, ashamed of myself is, like, how I <laughs> genuinely felt, which is so dumb. That's really <laughs> like, weird. Just listen to what you like. You no know? guilty pleasures, man. Yeah, Absolutely. exactly. That's how, that's how I feel now. That's not how I felt then. I was like, I got to put headphones on. I got to maybe <laughs> make sure everyone thinks I'm listening to something else here. But, uh, no, this is this is take off your pants and jacket. This is what I'm listening to. Um, I'm going to do the, the segue because Kyle had a perfect line. I think you said, I don't really like music that's very self-serious. <laughs> so I think that's a great transition to the album I picked, um, Astral Weeks by yeah. Van Morrison, a man that does not take himself seriously at all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he may be among the most self-serious artists ever that ever existed. Um, but anyway, this is, uh, this is definitely one of my favorite albums. I, it, I, it wasn't. It was always kind of a hard one to find. I remember reading about it. Um, you could find stuff like Moon Dance or uh, some other ones like that. Um, these greatest hits and things, but this one was kind of hard. It's prior to Moon Dance, um, and I don't know. It just has. It's it's a different album. It has a very unique feel, I think. And I don't know. I was just. I figured it was probably not something that you were into, and I was curious what somebody with no frame of reference would think. Um, yeah. So yeah. I mean, so you heard in the beginning of the show. My first reaction was like, okay, I know the name van morrison uh, like and but it, i didn't realize who he was until like i googled him i was like oh brown eyed girl that's a very famous song i know that yep. song i like that song and my the first thing that hit me is i listened to it on spotify um was first of all clicking van morrison there are so many albums like it was great like i had to scroll forever to yes. find <laughs> astral weeks in the list and uh, i was and i was listening to it and then i was like okay like I, I, I'm not super familiar with Van Morrison outside of Brown Eyed Girl, but then um, it, it, it switched to Shuffle and it started playing Moondance for me. And that yep. is a, totally an album that my dad had and played a lot. Like I, it was one of those instances where I was listening to it. And I was like, oh, I, I remember all these songs. I know a lot of these. But Astral Weeks was definitely one. I didn't know any of the songs on this album. Like they were no. all new to me. No, this was one of those albums that I think at the time was a major bomb but in the years pr- since then, it kind of became a cult 
album and then sort of eventually became regarded as one of these, you know, great albums or of classic rock or whatever. But at the time it was not, it was not popular. And you can, you can kind of hear what he turned into Moondance. It's sort of jazzy approach to rock, but obviously Moondance, he just made it much more kind of focused and commercial in a lot of ways, which is also a great album. But um, yeah, this, this is from uh, 68. I believe he's only, he was only like 24 years old when he recorded this album too. Mm. Which I think is kind of crazy, but and anyway, like, at least on the Spotify discography, it looks like it's the second one. Does that sound right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Are there yeah. any clips from here, Kyle, that you think really sum up the album to you? I know that you've got well, your section of Young Lovers Do that. Yeah, you loved, I love, but like, yeah, my favorite track on the album was that one, the way Young Lovers Do. But I mean, like, one, I, I kind of struggled with it because. To me, outside of Young Lovers Do, a lot of it sounded kind of similar to me. So honestly, like Astral Weeks was probably the song I listened to the most because, you know, I kept starting the album over and over. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe we could just take a listen to that one. If I ventured in the slipstream between the viaducts of your dream Where my world still runs crack And the dead center back road stop Could you find me? Or would you kiss my eyes Lay it down One of the things that um, struck me listening to it, because I listened to it a number of times, but I didn't notice the date, 1968, yeah. uh, until much later. I, I would have assumed that this album was was later than 1968, because it, it, it feels really experimental and like... Uh, like meandering almost sounds like I, I don't mean that in a negative way, but it seems oh, like no, he's it just like trying weird things, you know, which is like mm-hmm. I didn't really I, I feel like that usually comes like un- later when like studio time isn't as quite as precious, you know? Yeah. And I don't think it has a whole lot to do with a lot of the other stuff that was going on. This sort of, you know, hippie kind of psychedelic you know what I mean? Sergeant Pepper kind of vibes at all. It's, yeah. it's kind of unique. And, uh, but you're actually, you picked up on something. You're very right. Um, the way the album was recorded, he had these songs, he'd been playing them in a club with a three piece. Um, but these guys, he basically never met these musicians before. Um, they were all, a couple of them were pretty pro jazz guys. One was from the modern jazz quartet. Mm. Um, they didn't speak a whole lot. Van is sort of, um, famously not a people person. Um, and so they're actually just following him. He's in the booth with a guitar and vocals and they kind of have a rough sketch of what, what it is, but because they're like pro jazz guys, they're used to just following along. And so they're actually just kind of winging it the whole time. You know what, Matt? Sometimes I can tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yeah. 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 No, it has a loose, it's a loose feel depending on if that's chari- charitable or not to you. <laughs> it, it, man, it depends. Cause I do like jazz. Like I do like, you know, as a guy who pays a lot of attention to drums, I do like jazz. And overall, I liked this and I think it was interesting. And there's no denying Van Morrison's voice is like iconic and it yeah. nothing else really sounds like him. And it was cool to like sort of go down 
you know, a little bit of a rabbit hole here to really absorb that voice, which I had never done before. But there are definitely moments in this album where I'm kind of like, is everyone on the same page here? Like, do you guys, <laughs> yeah. do you know what's happening? And it, I did listen to a couple of like the bonus tracks, which are like, they're called like take four or like long version, which is like probably didn't make it on the original album for reasons that they just kind of meander and like drop the well, ball. <laughs> they probably also, you know, when it was vinyl, I think they were limited to about 40 minutes as well. Uh, so they were yeah, probably pushed up against the physical format as well. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, th- these these sessions were famously loose. I mean, I'm kind of somewhat like Jehovah's Witness about this album. So I don't know. <laughs> to me, it's it's got a very kind of almost magical kind of thing. But so when did when did you first hear it? Because like it's not I, I your music taste is like super eclectic and all over the place. But I never uh, this doesn't really I never would have assumed that this would be something you'd be really into. Like when did you find this and really fall in love with Boy, it? I don't know. I would. <laughs> It, you know, I was definitely an adult, I think, when I, I found this probably late 20s or something. It was, it was one of those albums I've heard about or read about. Um, and then and then all of a sudden, his stuff became a little easier to find on CD at a certain point. Um, so I think, you know, at that point, I, I found it. And I just kind of, I, I went through this phase where I just, I almost listened to this exclusively for like a couple months um, and just kind of, I don't know. I it, But I, I it's kind of like, I love it. But at the same time, I can't discount the things you're saying either because it, it definitely is a loose album, and it you know it's somewhat samey. You know, it, it's definitely musically a, a vibe that kind of continues through the whole album. That's you know, a lot of the songs are fairly long, and I don't think they're they're fairly similar. A lot of them, I think. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think maybe we can even play a little bit of it. But the way young lovers do. I think that's why that one stood out to me and I liked it so much because it was kind of the most upbeat and it stands out the most to me from the rest of the album. We strolled through fields all wet with rain And back along the lane again There in the sunshine In the sweet summertime I think there's like marimba happening there. I don't know if that's the right instrument, but there's like like the trumpets coming in and stuff. Like I like I like that kind of stuff. It's like building, you know. And I like I Mm -hmm. really like Van Morrison's voice, you know, beside all this stuff. Yeah, this is a great song. And this probably points ahead towards Moondance more than anything else on the album, too. May, you know, that might be the other reason I like it so much, because like it was one of those things I didn't realize until doing this podcast. And I was like, oh, Moondance is like a song that I know really well and heard a lot in my house growing up that I just yep. didn't. I never connected to Van Morrison. It's just one of those songs that you hear and you're like, oh, yeah, this played in my house all the time. I just forgot. You know,
this is like it's one of those parts where they're it, it's clearly improvisational but it, it feels like they're on they're all working together and like building towards something and i, yeah. I just like the trumpet solo because i don't think there's a lot of uh, trumpet elsewhere on the album either which is cool no i guess not yeah yeah i think the strings on this album are really good i've always liked the string arrangements a lot yeah that uh it's probably telling too like that is uh by more than a minute the shortest song on the album the next shortest song is sweet thing and that's four minutes 22 seconds everything else <laughs> tops like six minutes and it's telling like that is if there's a single on this album it's man it's got to be the you way the way young lovers do right yeah probably that or sweet thing i would imagine would be the other um, again and not like logical one it feels like almost they talk i I should say that I, I love this album for different reasons, I think, from what Matt loves it for, but also a lot of the same and the same reasons that Kyle uh, was attracted to it in, in the ways that he was. But like, it's got, for me, it's, it feels like they, I don't know, he had all these songs that were more improvisational, like you said, started playing them um, at shows, at clubs, and brought in some jazz musicians to really beef up his improvisation and like, I guess, challenge him in many ways. And then these two songs were just like, these are the slam dunks. These are the hits. These are the ones that are going to like sell albums and get feet moving, especially in yeah. like the late sixties when, uh, like lower quality and amateur recordings were slowly becoming a thing. People were getting noticed and the music industry was starting to like, uh, notice a new, a new trend of like, uh, of, of rock of folk was really coming into its own, uh, in a new way, Greenwich village and all that. It just, it says something to me about, the like power that these two songs have these two shortest songs have that he was able to like flow a lot of this more airy jangly jazzy vibe into the remaining seven songs in the album i'm curious for both of you just because if you hadn't really read a lot about the mythology around the album um what did you guys think of madam george because that's a song that became sort of over time a song that was kind of obsessed over that was one a lot of some of the timestamp notes i sent to uh, Jason, which are probably like atypical based on the previous two episodes, were just like weird little moments that stood out to me. Mm-hmm. Like that was a weird thing that happened, and I like time stamped it and sent it to Jason. And uh, but that and like I have some of those for Madam George because uh, like Morrison's voice is so unique and weird, but he has like two moments in that song where his voice just almost like turns like animalistic and kind of just bizarre and weird it almost sounds like he's like growling or gargling or something like <laughs> let's that let's play it let's play it yeah that's when you fall <laughs> yeah that yeah <laughs> it sounds so <laughs> borderline like cat or something yeah when you fall yeah that's when you that <laughs> that yeah. right there <laughs> he sounds like, like a cnc of when it lands on the cow <laughs> It's very weird. But that being said, like those 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 that weird vocal thing stood out to me. But I actually did find this one uh somewhat catchy and it is another one that kind of stood out to me was Madam George. Yeah, and I I think he was um as a writer, I think he was very influenced by James Joyce. Um and the, he had a collection of stories like The Dubliners, which is sort of this collection of stories stories about just kind of random characters in Dublin in the 1800s and I think the album was sort of some of these I think were almost like kind of weird short stories. And pe- over time, people have kind of speculated on like, what was the story behind Madame George? It's obviously about an, a sort of an older transvestite. And is he in a, a relationship with a younger man? Um, 
there's some references to the cops. Are they being busted by drugs? Are they are they being is it the fifties? Are they sort of being busted on old kind of moral charges? You know, or or like what kind of community in Dublin were they sort of existing in these like I guess more gay friendly hidden kind of rooms or whatever. Um, because it's sort of unclear. You can't really get the full story, but you know, there's some references to him playing dominoes and drag and things like that. And I think over time people were kind of spe- try to speculate on like what the story behind Madam George was. Yeah. It's funny. Cause like, obviously there are, we practically picked like musical opposites in terms of our two albums. And then it's like, it's on top of that. It's like, well, this one has some progressive ideas that maybe Van Morrison wasn't ready to publicly explore. We're like, <laughs> Blink-182 stuff is like very regressive and does not hold <laughs> yeah. very well at all. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's hard to say. I mean, Van never, he, he's he's very loath. He doesn't like to say what songs mean or anything. So yeah. he's never really came out and said it, which is maybe another reason why people, you know, I don't know if they project things onto it as well. But uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting one. That kind of became, I think, over time was one that people like obsessive fans kind of were trying to figure out what it what it meant and all that. Yeah, I, I liked that one. That, that was that that one. um I did like. Do you guys think that each song on this album tells a story of a kind, or is it, are they all just kind of like setting and uh, and tone poems? I mean, I feel like Cypress Avenue must be about something. It seems to be, you know, have characters. I don't think all of them do, though, either. You know, it's hard to say. Astral Week seems like he's kind of improving the whole song, maybe, or parts of it. Yeah, even lyrically sometimes. You know, maybe not, not like specific lyrics, but certainly like the way he says says you know the the way he's pronouncing words and like stretching them out definitely does not seem planned in advance you know that's just because he's irish yeah oh is that right oh okay <laughs> <laughs> he's also the other thing that i think about him is he's a he uh he's a saxophone player as well oh okay and so sometimes oh. i think like his his vocal style if you think about him being a sax player at the same time like he he does some of those kind of things he's actually I mean, pretty yeah, decent his voice Likewise. almost sounds like a saxophone so I was going to say that explains why his tongue is in that spot in his mouth when he sings. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. I mean, yeah, honestly. Yeah. Um, so, but I mean, that sounds like you appreciate it to some degree, but it's probably not necessarily, it's a little bit drifting or unstructured. Yeah, like I'm, that- I'm a sucker for like, cause like, you know, I listen to like, well, not, not lately so much anymore, but like a big part of my musical upbringing was like metal. Right. And not, and not just like for the darkness, like you guys talked a lot about metal last week, which which was a lot of fun, and Beyond yeah. was great, and um, but and and you guys really did tap into like the things that I like about metal, which is not like the growling, the sort of excessive dark nature of it, but like I the musicality and like the craftsmanship of like you know basically jamming like four different songs into one and stuff like that, like that's the kind of stuff that appeals to me. Like I like I like listening to music where I'm like, okay, these guys rehearsed for a really long time. You know what I mean? Like that's generally more what appeals to me, but I definitely have appreciation for this sort of more like improvisational, like, cause I do like jazz uh, in the right situation. And there were, there was stuff on here that I liked, but it did, it did kind of sound consistent throughout. Uh, yeah. It was like a, it was a nice consistent. It was a good consistent, but I like, I, like there were even times where I was like, Oh, did we change tracks? This kind of sounds pretty similar. It sounds like we haven't changed a lot since the last song, you know? Yeah, no, I, I totally get that. And my personal taste, like, I'm very big on like repetition. I kind of like sometimes music that's very, you know, kind of going on almost like variations on the same thing for five, six, eight minutes or whatever. So mm. it's up my alley, I'll put it that way. But yeah. um, I think there's, you know, 
Moondance definitely, I think, would be more up your alley. I think for something that's maybe between Moondance and this, he has an album called St. Dominic's Preview that's pretty good that has some kind of more out there stuff and all, but a little more structure, I'd say. Um, but he in the 70s, he's really, from this on through the 70s, he's pretty remarkably consistent. And dude's still, like you said, all his albums, I bet he's put out four albums in the last five years. What? He put out an album this year. He puts out albums all the time. Just a prolific guy. Does he do like movie soundtracks or anything like that? Like that seems like a direction no. that a lot of people go, you know, in terms of uh, musicality, you know, like the Trent Reznor's and stuff. <laughs> like, all right, I did my yeah, band for a long enough yeah. time. I'm going to start doing m- music soundtracks now. Or no, they're, they're, they're all kind of Van Morrison albums and they're not, you know, they're still working kind of the similar styles to probably, you know, what you'd associate with him, you know, kind of blues, jazz, folk kind of stuff and I, just, well, he, I think in a weird way, he's kind of, he's very pretentious, but I think he also is, has a very kind of working class Irish thing where it's like, this is my job. I'm a musician. Right. He's earned so, it. We put, well, just like, this is what you do. You put out records and then you, you go tour them. You put out record and then you go on tour, you know, kind yeah. of thing that's just been his whole life, I think. So and I mean, also kind of, he won a little bit of a lottery with that voice because it's just so yeah. like specific, you know? Oh yeah. I mean, for a, a white kind of soul singer, I think he's. He's remarkably gifted, you know, I think. And just distinctive, you're right. I mean, you instantly you know it's him. He doesn't really sound like anybody else. And and that's evident from his earliest stuff. He just kind of had it. Yeah, definitely. Like, it, 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 he knows what he's working with, like, in this. You know what I mean? Like, he, like we, I was laughing about that weird, like, cat meow. But it's like, that like that was his signature thing. Like, he was, he's like, this is my, my voice is kind of weird. I'm going to lean into it. And that's going to be my defining thing, you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. He's a great singer. So check it out. Um, you know, it's it's definitely an album that could take some getting used to, or maybe you'll really like it. It's hard to say, but um, I want to. What was say it again? The one that you said that might be more my because I like Moon Dance. Yeah, Moon Dance is good. Um, gosh, uh, his actually his band and Street Choir is really good. Okay. That's very like that's that's almost more of a blues album. And gotcha. a little more R and B album, and then Saint Dominic's Preview is very good as well. That's a little more, maybe halfway between this and Moon Dance, but uh, his band and Street Choir is really um, a really fun record. I'll, I'll definitely check that one out because, like, I even though this one didn't, it's this isn't gonna like, uh, like move into my rotation. It did kind of be like, I think I want to hear more Van Morrison because it is one of those things. It's like it's it, it's more nostalgic for me than I realized, you know, which has been kind of interesting. Yeah, he has. A, I think he has a certain. I think he always had a very. I don't know, nostalgic vibe. Even I wonder if even was new, it had that you know sort of classic kind of looking yeah. back. Yeah, Tupelo Honey's another another good one of that era. It's very good. That has a song Wild Night on it, which was sort of a hit. It was remade at one point. Yeah. Um, but in, anyway. uh, in honor of this podcast, Matt, I one of the things I did um, to listen to this album was I pulled out my Bluetooth speaker and I put it by my sink and I started listening to it while I was doing the dishes. Right. It's very important. You really are a mid Yeah. Uh, it's that's quor- quarantine. That's quarantine style. I feel <laughs> like right. I've done more and dishes that's... in the last like three weeks than I've done in the last year. <laughs> Unbelievable. Getting a lot of music listening in, I'm sure. Yeah, I guess. But yeah, uh, no, so I started it. I got about 30 seconds into the first song and my daughter walked upstairs and she turned off the Bluetooth. <laughs> and then and so i was like okay well she doesn't like that but so then i did this experiment where i was like i actually i recorded it spoiler alert it was not interesting at all so i deleted the recording but i actually I, we were uh, driving somewhere um 
and I put uh, I put Astral Weeks on and just recorded her because I wanted to hear her reaction if she was just going to be like, Dad, turn it off or something like that. And, you know, I let it play for a few minutes. She didn't react at all. And I was like, hey, Claire, what do you think of this? And she's like, I, I like it. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I'm glad you like it. And then I was like, all right, well, now I'm going to put on Enema of the State, which is a fun, upbeat kind of thing. You're really going to like this. Yeah. And, like, we listened to, like, 30 seconds of Dumpweed. And I was like, hey, Claire, what do you think of this one? And she just shrugged her shoulder. And she's like, I don't know. Like, weird. <laughs> she liked yeah. she liked Astral Weeks more. You'd think <laughs> I was yeah, surprised. Wow. Kids are unpredictable, though. Oh, God. Especially, yeah, at a totally. age, especially when they're young enough where they don't have preconceptions about what they're supposed to like or what other people like or, you know, that kind of peer pressure. Or, yeah. You know, but she's definitely at that age right now. Like, she doesn't just, care what anyone else is, is listening to. She just likes what she likes, you know, which I, which I admire, you know. And they don't even really know what like genres of music are or yeah. what kind of music it's supposed to be, which I, I think that's, that's, it's that's the great thing about kids at that at those sort of younger yeah, and, you know like ages. not to turn this into like two dads talking about music but like i feel like <laughs> the next generation like like our kids generation are going to be way less concerned about like the things that i like i was concerned about like being uncool for liking blink 182 i think just the way modern music works like everyone just hones in on very specific things that they like because there's so much more music around so i think I just don't think that that's ever really going to be a concern, like liking cool music. I think kids are just going to like what they like moving forward, oh, which at least totally. I hope that's how it's going to be. I mean, I think I think Spotify's changed everything. I, yeah, because you know, I still play in bands, and I'm in a band with some guys that are you know quite a bit younger than me, and like, and I, you know sometimes run it, talk to and, and guys that are like way younger, and some of the stuff they know about at young ages, I'm just like that's wild, you know, like obscure Jamaican reggae or <laughs> you know just anything, you know, because it's like all all you have to do is just type it into the box. And it just pops up. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, I remember like even going, like listening back to Enema of the State and like scrolling down Spotify and being like, oh, there here's like Cheshire Cat and Buddha, which were Blink-182's first albums that I could never find to buy. And here they are right here, just on Spotify to listen yep. to. Like it's, it's, it's so, it's cool. And it's like bizarre, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, this was, this is a lot of fun. Like, are we, are we going to do some questions, Jason? Yeah. Uh, while I'm getting to the questions, can I can I Jason brain out on you guys and like, sure do it. Listen, listening to you two talk about these two different albums, it was it was fun because the Blink One Eighty Two's "Enemy of the State," like a large portion of what was discussed was the drums. It's you know incredible variation and incredible rhythms and a lot that adds to pretty simple like one four five three two four five one like chord progressions and that's kind of what made it special and it sounds like it makes it special for both of you kyle for personal reasons and matt for like very musical reasons and when i'm listening through astral weeks the one thing that stuck out to me was like one song has drums in it like a, a, an honest to god kit and that's the one that's three and three minutes 12 seconds long that is the single the everything else is just sort of like floaty the percussion is light it's very like string driven were yeah. are drums the deciding factors for both of these albums for you? That's a good question, Jason. You're a good producer host person. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll, well, I'll get uh, good at it. Never mind. I take back my compliment. Here's the producer. <laughs> no. Wow. Uh, it was good having you, Kyle. But now we must uh, sever ties. <laughs> we uh, got to wrap it up. <laughs> uh, no, uh, I'm like, just I'm trying to vamp because it's such a good question that I don't I don't have an immediate answer but i think you're right i mean drums are very important to me just because i like them so much and i i used to be uh you know someone who played them all the time i, I play them less now which bums me out but I, I i still really hone in on drums a lot and maybe that maybe you're right like maybe that's why astral weeks wasn't this like 
one that really clicked clicked with me in a big way because there wasn't that that the, the drums in the background kind of like pulling me along except for that one song which was you know the song that i liked the most you know sure yeah i i guess for me i i really liked um both of them for and this is probably like shitty sitting on the fence jason e about it but like i really like i've always loved enema of the state well maybe not always but i've loved enema of the state for a long time because of like it's driving rhythms because it really gets where it's going it knows exactly what it's about and i loved Astral Weeks because it's the exact opposite. Like it, it takes its time. It, it sort of, I think both of you use the word meanders. It sort of like lingers where it is, uh, without like a pounding beat, but without a kick or a snare, like pushing it to the end of its, to, toward its end, right? It's, it's all very detached. It's all very not anchored to much. It's all very flowy and airy. Um, Matt, does that make any sense to you? Is that something that yeah. like it wasn't I mean, a good question for you? Too? That's kind of what I like about it is it's not, it's a little, I don't want to say formless. But it's certainly kind of meditative, or it, it feels like they're very in the moment. You know, yeah. at, meditative at that time. is a very good word. I think that's I think that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's, I mean, certainly not a conventional, you know, conventional song structure record by it, with some exceptions, as we mentioned. But you know, it's yeah, it, it, it's kind of improvisational, and you know, the looseness of that could I could either appeal to you or maybe not as appeal to you as much. And I don't necessarily think anyone's wrong because it's very much what it is, you know? Sure. Uh, well, I would like to scooch us into community questions then. Sure. Uh, if that's cool with everybody. Uh, I am, I've just gotten a wire from uh, MinMax head offices that we are to ask to uh, ask listeners to leave a review on iTunes. It helps uh, every podcast you listen to. If you leave a review, uh, good, bad, or ugly, let us know what you think there. Uh, it is the best way to, to let us know what's, what's working and what's not. Um, so the first question this week comes from Holden Hits, who asks, what uh, music video personally resonates with you the strongest? Uh, one in particular that I think at the time was just very impactful because um, it was their first video and it was sort of like nothing you'd ever seen was uh, the video for Metallica 1, um, the song 1 about, you know, the guy that's lost all his arms and legs in the war and uh it uses um footage from johnny got his gun the movie um about the the song was based on but it it was just i i just never seen anything that heavy you know getting played on like mtv in normal times and things like that and it was just it's just a very dark video and interspersed with them playing in a kind of an empty room and i don't know it just had a big impact on me at that time yeah was it it's um this, I, I feel like this is a, like just a, an obvious answer, but um, it's Dire Straits Money for Nothing is the one with the CG animation in it, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, my dad, I don't know how, I, don't, I guess this was a thing that you did back in the day, but he uh, rented a VHS from a video store that had that music video on it. Does that sound like a thing that people did? I don't know, but I remember just like, being blown away by that like just like this new style of animation i really like dire straits yeah. too like i'm a big fan mm-hmm. of them and i like the song a lot but like that actually like weirdly set me on this path to like really appreciate animation even beyond just the music of just like oh, always wow. like admiring animation and i always like animated music videos and stuff like yeah. that I like animated short films a lot and i think that all stems from <laughs> dire straits is money for nothing which is like yeah, my, I'm, I'm actually pulling it up and like watching it right now and it's like yeah no this is yeah. this thing is weird man with all like the weird no, it's got like the the uh, mover janitor type guy with the the stogie and stuff yeah. he's all like he's like yes, exactly. he's like yeah. 12 he's 12 polygons or something maybe yeah no they, these guys <laughs> like they should be like someone should 
license them and make a video game about them or something. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good idea. All right. What's next, Jason? We got a question from Phil S. who asks, what are you more excited to find? An interesting cover of a song or a particularly strong live recording? I mean, for me, it's it's undoubtedly a cover. I, I love hearing bizarre takes on songs I know. Uh, I, I like it's one of my favorite things. Um, like even like bad covers. Like I just I want to hear other musicians' versions of of different songs. So like that that I'm like way more attracted to than like a you know a really good live version of a song because like to a certain degree it's like well I you know I I know this take on the song I know what this sounds like this is a really good like take on it but I'd rather hear someone try something weird with it you know I've actually done a sort of a 180 on that maybe in the last five, 10 years. I, I would have totally said what you said um, in the last, I don't know, recently I've gotten more into kind of jammier uh, stuff and, you know, more jazz. I'm even, I'm, I'm developing risk factors for liking the Grateful Dead. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I haven't been stricken yet, but there's, I'm definitely, I'm experiencing some early, you know, kind of COVID like symptoms of <laughs> liking the Grateful Dead. Um <laughs> So yeah, now I'm now I'm kind of into live versions. I don't know. I'm I'm getting I, now. I would say that, but for for many many years, most of my life, I would have said the opposite. But I don't know what's happening to me. I mean, yeah, and I will say, like one of the other, I, I don't know if I'm, it's like weird to reveal this, I guess. But like I had a couple albums in mind to present to you, and one is uh, this band I really like called Karate, and the band and their and the album of theirs that I, I would have them. picked uh, was their live album. And so like I do like live albums for some of my favorite bands because it kind of ends up being like a greatest hits version of their albums and it's also like they're super practiced at these songs so they know them really well so in those instances i I do like i do really like like live albums you know stuff like that i think i remember karate where they sort of Almost emo, but kind of weird and jazzy. Very jazzy. Kind of proggy in some ways, but sort of like indie rock at the same time. Yeah. I, like I do remember emo that is probably the smallest percentage of that pie, but um, it is very, it's very jazzy for sure. Yeah. I, I do remember that band. Yeah. I, lo- I love karate. Yeah. Where's the best place to listen to karate these days? Because I, I know like <sighs> three songs by them and I love Sever. I've played that song like a billion times in my bedroom on bass, but I cannot <sighs> find anywhere to listen to like more than one small album on Spotify. Jason, I'm so glad you said sever specifically. That's the oh. best song, man. I, it's one of those songs that I'm like, I, it's like, I listen to it. I'm like this. I think this is my favorite song. And I don't think a lot of people have heard this. So it, it makes my heart sore to know that someone else is like listening Hell to yeah, sever. It's and be like, such a, great. Oh yeah. Where, where, where do you listen to? I mean, not to um, diverge us, but we are still talking about music. Where do you listen? Yeah, to you know what? The best place to listen to them would be to email me directly and I'll send okay. you their <laughs> discography. Honest, like, honestly, like I don't have a great answer. I, I think I own all their albums and I have them backed up on a hard drive They're They have one album on Spotify, which is like they're out there. I don't like that one album. It's actually like my least favorite album of theirs. And then I mean, otherwise, like if I'm just like driving around and I want to listen to it and it's not Spotify, I actually pull up the album 595 on YouTube. There's like a couple of people who have just the full album on YouTube and that's their that's their live album that has that's like basically a greatest hits of karate. Right on. Do they play Sever? They do play Sever. It's okay. a great version. It's live. Not to be the free bird of this scenario, but like legitimately I obsess over that song whenever I listen to it. Every like few months, I'll remember that it exists and think, hell, I got to listen to this three times in a row or I'm going to be really, really sad for the day. 
what the hell, man? Like, I thought I was the only person that did that. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, I, I discovered, I found them out through, it, it was a subreddit that I no longer really go to, but like, it was for uh, obscure music and music you've probably never heard before kind of thing. Uh, I was a hipster back in like 2015, 2016, and I still am today, but I was more of a hipster back then. And it, like, that song stuck with me, man. Anyway. Jason, you, you got to play a little bit of subreddit. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you can pull it up quickly. We'll we'll, we'll put it in in post. Put it we'll in post. It in Just post. play the first we'll like, in post. First thirty seconds. The first uh, five minutes and fifty five seconds. Uh, there you go. So the next question comes from King Prometheus, uh, who asks, "Do you have any preference as to whether uh, music you're listening to is quote unquote about something, either fiction or total nonfiction, or does it not affect your experience with the music at all?" The reference that they gave was Coheed and Cambria and The Deer Hunter, both of whom are very like story and mythos uh, focused bands. Uh, I spent a lot of time with uh, Coheed and Cambria in college, and I will say that this sort of the lore of it all uh, it had, had basically nothing to do with my appreciation for them. Uh, I think it's interesting. I think it's neat, but it is it is not a priority for me at all. You I just think sometimes the... it's like a cool bonus element that you can sort of research if you want. Right. You know? Yeah, I would say I, I kind of tend towards maybe as I suggested when we were talking about Van Morrison, but I, I like things that are a little more maybe ambivalent or it's like, I feel like there's something there, but it's not quite clearly expressed. Okay. I'm not a big, I don't really like to read lyric sheets ever. I always find that just distracts me from, from the music. Does that, um, I mean, I'd like there to be some depth and stuff, but I, I don't necessarily love the kind of, uh, real story song thing in general. Okay. I mean, there's certain times it can be good, but I, I like it when it's a little more, uh, I don't know vague i guess does that intersect at all with your love of rap because rap is a like an it's it's basically storytelling in song form right usually yeah, that's true i just rap is so i don't know <laughs> such a different thing because it's just to me it's just you know that that's true that 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 is that's very true but i don't know maybe i maybe i'm kind of rap's just different because i think you just got to go for good lines and rap you know what i mean like it's almost a competitive thing to me where they just they just have to you know, take it where it leads in a certain sense. But yeah, you're right. Maybe I'm, maybe I like it both ways. I don't know. Well, I don't know if you can have it both ways, Matt, but you are the host. So we'll go on to the next okay. question. <laughs> okay. uh, Tim Loro asks, uh, how do you feel about musical theater? Is it, well, we're not going to say guilty pleasure uh, because there are no guilty pleasures, uh, but do you listen to musicals even if you haven't seen the show uh, that they come from? Yeah, I kind of, so musical theater, I almost have like a similar trajectory as Blink-182 where uh, I was in musicals growing up as a kid, like in my local theater, uh, like I sang on stage. I'm not a good singer or anything, but like, so I liked being in them. I always enjoyed going to see them, but it wasn't until late high school that I was like, oh, wait, you know what? I, I should just openly admit that I really like musicals and I like will totally listen to this stuff, um, you know, outside of like being in a theater. Cause I just, I enjoy it. And I think part of it, this is like a weird angle to come at it from, but part of it was, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park are very openly like big fans of musical theater. And my, my friends in high school, we would watch, uh, their first film cannibal, the musical a lot and really enjoyed it. And it was kind of one of those things where I was like, well, if these goofballs like love musical theater enough to like, literally make musical theater and then you could argue that all their films like south park and team america they're basically yeah. musicals like that yeah. gave me this like weird confidence to be like hell yeah i like oklahoma that's a great musical <laughs> you know <laughs> and they went on to make uh book of mormon right or at least they had a hand in it 
Yeah. Uh, well, no, that's that's a hundred percent there. It's, like, it's right. not even not even a hand in it. I mean, they wrote that thing, you know, all the way. So. So what do you what music do you listen to from uh, musicals today? Like, if you're in the car, daughter in the back, what do you put on? And you're feeling like you're listening to musicals. <laughs> it's a boring answer, Jason, but it's it's Hamilton. It's always right. Hamilton. That is a boring answer. <laughs> <laughs> but you gotta love Hamilton, man. Hey, yeah, it, it's a hit. For me, it's probably my biggest blind spot. I just have a very limited reference on musicals. I, I, I've not ever heard Hamilton, ever seen Hamilton. Um, I took my mom to a dinner theater to see West Side Story once, and that was good. Nice. I enjoyed that. I, I guess I don't, I've never disliked him when I saw it. Um, one time, actually, I was on a trip for Sony in London. And they took us to this theater in the West End. And it was this, it was this uh, musical called Shockheaded Peter. And mm-hmm. he's this sort of grotesque, like old fashioned children's book of this kind of guy with, it's almost like a proto, like Edward Scissorhands that like sort of kills bad children. <laughs> and Jesus. so like every Shockheaded Peter tale is about a boy that, you know, sort of like the, the tales uh, at the beginning of, uh, Willy Wonka, you know, where a kid is sort of like greedy. So then something happens to him and shockheaded Peter gets him. But it was this really kind of weird musical that was, that was pretty cool. Um, is but yeah, I just, four children? no, no. Oh, okay. this, this the, the, I mean, it, the, the old books were in the way that, you know, old, uh, fairy tales are like really grim and like Krampus. violent, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very Krampus. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I just haven't, I haven't seen a lot of musicals, I guess. Um, we'll have to connect you two after the episode so you can. Give him some good recommendations, Kyle. I've heard about Hamilton. I remember Rent. Remember Rent? That was a big deal. I, I mean, honestly, that. like someone needs to give you the Hamilton soundtrack on this podcast. I don't know okay. who. I'll I'll check it out. I was going to do that, but like the whole thing's on Spotify, and the way that musical is structured is there's no dialogue in that in that musical. Like, oh, if you so listen it wouldn't. To the, I shouldn't the see the it on video album first, on Spotify. Or? That's what the musical is. Like you've you've heard the whole thing, and it's it's fantastic. Okay. We'll check out Hamilton. I know it's been, you know, fairly popular <laughs> as far as I, I could tell. It has not gone, it has not gone missed. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you guys, if you've heard of it, right? Like uh, it's this. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I know it's, you know, <laughs> Alexander Hamilton, it's hip hop. And I mean, I've seen the guy pop up on a million different things. Yeah. Um, you know, guy. he seems like a nice guy. <laughs> he seems like he, a play, he, he plays video games. We should really try to get him on, yeah. uh, on the Mintracks. On Min Max, <laughs> let alone Min Tracks. Do you oh. think Hanson would go for that if he could get Lin Manuel Miranda? I on- Hanson would lose his mind. He would cry. <laughs> like it would be amazing. It'd be like your great white whale. It, honestly, yeah, yeah. And uh, nice. speaking of that, like let's try to get Mark Hoppus on too because he's he's a big gamer as well. He's got a lot of Zelda theories that he tweets about uh, from time to time. Wow. You heard it here. Leave us a review and tag Mark Hoppus on Twitter in the episode. Uh, please, please. Do. please. Uh, so it, we've come now to the time for uh, the song of the week. And uh, this song was suggested by Zane Dukes. It is uh, Big Country by Bella Fleck and the Flecktones off of their album Live at the Quick from 2002. Um, I picked this section of the song and this song in specific because a lot of listening to uh, – uh, Astral Weeks got me thinking in a very bluegrass mind. Uh, there's a lot of, there's some mandolin on that album. There's a lot of plucked violin and such, a lot of typically bluegrassy sounds. Uh, and it also has, like, they interject as, as the, um, the virtuosos that this whole band is made up of. They're able to interject very recognizable, fun melodies 
And that's how I connected it in my mind to Blink-182. I tried to pick a song that, uh, that, that sort of was a happy marriage of both of these concepts without sounding anything like either of them. Uh, so this <laughs> is Big Country by Live, or sorry, by Bella Fleck and the Flecktones, Live at the Quick. Uh, what you'll be hearing is Victor Wooten on bass, and you'll be hearing Jeff Coffin, I believe, on tenor saxophone. they worked uh old mcdonald had a farm into there <laughs> so self-referentially and they both were able to just riff on it in the moment i man i know that you guys don't have a choice i know that this is totally my prerogative but that was a really great song choice i love no jason i agree with you i mean that that sounded like a musical conversation or something <laughs> that's yeah. i mean i don't know do you do you listen to bella fleck kyle uh, not, not a ton. I definitely, I had one of their albums, you know, back pre MP3 players that would kind of cycle through occasionally in my car, but it was never one that I like that really got into, um, was, was Bella Fleck. Okay. I, I only ask because either your brother or your sister once told me that your dad was in a bluegrass band. Is this true? I was, yeah, I was actually going to mention that my dad was in a bluegrass band called Spider Bridge, which was, um, you know, pretty successful in terms of, uh, you know bluegrass bands uh they had like a record and stuff like that and uh yeah my dad's like an incredible uh bluegrass musician like one of those guys that like if an instrument has a string on it he's like somehow an expert on it i like everything Man, he I converted my old bedroom when i moved out into his like guitar room he's just <laughs> got like dozens of guitars that he repairs all the time and like whenever i see him play i'm just like oh my god this you're incredible <laughs> uh you got to send me uh spider bridges albums when you send me karate's albums yeah I, I, yeah, I should. I, I have their live album, I think, because my dad took their vinyl record and he converted it. So I, oh, I should yeah. have it. Yeah. Nice. Uh, Matt, are you a, are you a Fleck fan? A Fleck? Um, I mean, it's more somebody I'm familiar with. Um, you know, bass is kind of my main instrument that I always played growing up. So I used to get a lot of bass guitar magazines. And Victor Wooten is definitely a favorite of that world. You know what I mean? He's mm -hmm. definitely one of those, those guys that even years before I probably even ever heard him in any respect, like he, you know, he would have columns in those things or they would do articles on him. You know, he's kind of regarded as one of those super bass virtuosos. So I was, you know, kind of familiar with him as a figure. And I know, I know, I knew Bella was kind of, he's sort of, as we heard, he kind of takes bluegrass stuff, but almost goes in sort of a more jazz or kind of progressive direction outside of just strictly traditional. Yeah, I I mean I hesitate to even put him in that in that bluegrass genre. I mean genre's kind of fluid, but yeah. Yeah. No, I, he's one of those people that I I definitely know is a big deal and I just never for whatever reason uh checked him out, but that was, you know, certainly a, that was interesting. It was almost kind of like, I don't know, reminded me of like jazz meets like Aaron Copeland or something like that. Yeah. It's super um, uh 
super like impro improvisational, but yet with like that sort of soft production. This is a live album, so it's not super representative, but a lot of their stuff has that soft production. Like honestly, listening to that clip makes me think of uh, Pat Metheny Group and like Jaco Pastorius and Weather Report because it's so like reverby and uh, just, he has like, that bass tone of that kind of weird like chorusy. Yeah. Real mid-range bass tone thing. That, Which I'm that's not totally... a super fan of, but when you put something in Victor Wooten's hands, it's really hard to ignore what he's what he does with it, you know? Yeah. I would say that's my biggest problem is I, I'm not a big fan of that kind of Jocko bass tone. And, and also, I think that was a soprano sax, which for some reason I always have trouble with sometimes. Yeah. Because of Kenny G, I think, mostly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Man, we got to talk about Kenny G sometime. I have serious, like, trauma regarding Kenny G. Uh... <laughs> All right. Well, hey. Kyle, we really appreciate you uh, being on. This was super fun. Yeah, no, thank you. I mean, I like a lot of my high school and early college was a lot of me talking about music with my friends. Like that was just like our main like avenue of conversation. But it's it's been a while since I've just like talked about music, you know, like music's yeah. not as big a part of my life as it used to be, which is not like, that's fine. Like it's, I, 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 that's, I'm not like saying that to make everyone feel sorry for me or anything, but so like, it's been fun to like, talk about music and remember music in a big way you know it's uh so I've, I've enjoyed it thank you for having me yeah absolutely and uh you know as jason said please uh you know leave us a review on itunes um and, and just in general you know we we really appreciate you listening and giving the the podcast a chance it's been a lot of fun so far and we hope to keep to keep growing it and you know keep taking you know feedback from the community and uh so you know thank you for listening and, and we'll see you in a couple weeks mm-hmm.